we're going to do part two of the sermon series, What's the Big Deal About Easter? What's the Big Deal About Easter? And today, we're going to look at the cross. The cross. Last week, we looked at uh, the blood of Jesus. This week, we're going to look at the cross. And so, um, let's open our hearts. And as you turn your Bibles, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be behind me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Lord, open our ears and our hearts to hear your word today. And I pray, Lord, that it would go forth in power, I pray it would go forth in boldness. And everything that's said and done, Lord, I pray that it would bring you the glory. And everyone shouted a great big amen. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. How many remembers that old hymn of the church? At the cross. Some of those old hymns have great value when it comes to certain doctrines of the church. What's the big deal about Easter? Last week I said, it's the blood of Jesus is a big deal. And this week, I'm a firm believer that the cross of Jesus is a big deal. If you think it's a big deal, could you wave your hand and say, Preacher, I believe it's a big deal. The cross is the universal symbol of Christianity. No matter where one may go in the world, no matter what continent you may live on, no matter what type of Christian church you may attend, or how big your church may be, or small your church may be, the cross is the expression of the Christian faith. Now, you can go to churches around the world and you will find a common denominator that unites us all. You can go to a small hut in India and there you'll find a cross. You can go to a house church in China and there, you'll find a cross. You can go to a cathedral in New York. And there, you can find a cross. You can go to a storefront in the slums of L.A. And there, you'll find a cross. You can even go to the Appalachian Mountains and find a country church. And there you'll find a cross. The rich, the poor, the educated, the illiterate, popes, presidents, kings, queens, all recognize that the cross is the expression of the Christian faith. Why is the cross the expression of the Christian faith? Why is the cross so important? Why is it so special this morning? What's so special about the cross? 
Because we believe that it was there that our Lord laid down His life for the world. We believe it was there that He paid your sin and my sin. We believe that it was there that He crushed the head of the serpent. We believe that it was there that He gained access to God for humanity. We believe that it was at the cross that the greatest battle of the ages was won. We believe that it was at the cross that sin and Satan was forever defeated. Oh, the love of God that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God disbanded. It was at Calvary. It was the cross. And in a crossless generation, let us be reminded that it was there at the cross that our sin was paid. And as a result, ladies and gentlemen, the cross is the beacon of hope. As, as a result, the cross is a beacon of love and forgiveness and grace. As a result, the cross reaches on steeples throughout America and throughout the world on every continent known to man. The steeple raises high in sunshine and rain and snow. It's lifted in the heavens because it is the expression of our faith. To millions, to millions, the cross symbolizes a dawn of a new day. To millions, the cross represents a clean slate. To millions, the cross represents a new beginning, a fresh start. Let me remind this church this morning that the cross that is behind me, that's lifted high in this church, has not always been a cherished symbol of hope and forgiveness. The cross hasn't always been an, an exalted symbol of a global religion. Oh no, ladies and gentlemen, the cross was actually a symbol of shame and it was a symbol of death. Take just a few moments this morning, a trip with me. 2,000 years ago, there was no global religion called Christianity. There was no churches where people met on Sunday week after week. The cross was not an exalted symbol of an expression of a faith. But the cross was a symbol of shame and it was a symbol of death and guilt. The cross. You see, let me just remind you that 2,000 years ago during the time of Jesus, during the time that Jesus lived in Palestine, the Roman Empire was a dominant force. As a matter of fact, History tells us the Roman Empire was an influential force, a dominant force. It was the superpower of its age. The Roman Empire held its hand of oppression on God's people. It is no wonder the Jewish people longed for a Messiah. They wanted to be delivered from the oppression of the Roman Empire. The Romans would instill fear in the hearts of people. You see, the main objective of the Romans was to control you. And in order for them to control you, they instilled fear into you. So if you were fearful, they could control you. Isn't that what the devil wants to do today to us? 
That's how the devil controls us, by fear. So the Roman Empire would control the people by tactics of fear. And one of the things that they did was they would crucify all those who would rebel against their authority. You come against the Roman Empire and they would crucify you. Sicio, which was a Republican orator or a statesman of the time, said in his ancient writings, and I quote, he said this, even the mere word cross must remain far not only from the lips of the citizens of Rome, but it also must be from their thoughts, their ears, and their eyes. In other words, this statesman, this senator of Rome said, the crucifixion is such a degrading act, it's so disgusting, that Rome should not even think about it any longer. We shouldn't even look at it any longer because it should be far from our eyes and ears and even our thoughts. You see, crucifixion was the execution chair of the Roman Empire. According to the Romans, uh, the, according to Roman law, only Roman citizens was exempt from crucifixion. So, in other words, the Rome, the Roman Empire, would only crucify slaves, extreme criminals, enemies of the state, religious and political extremists. That's who they crucified. Usually, they never crucified their own citizens. And so, they would crucify people along highways. Because as you traveled, you could have a visual display of the token of Rome. And if anybody would rebel against their authority, let that be a sign to you that if you do not submit to their authority, they would crucify you as well. So Rome would have mass crucifixions. As a matter of fact, Caesar Augustus said in his writings, he said he boasted that one time he crucified 30,000 people at one time. Those people were runaway slaves who tried to run away from the oppression of Rome and Caesar Augustus boasted that he crucified every one of them. You see, Rome was the superpower. You didn't come against their authority. And if you were an extremist, or even if they suspected that you would come against them, they would crucify you. Crucifixion was the most horrible form of death. It's degrading. It was shameful. And I want to explain to you the details of a Roman execution. I want to explain to you the details of a Roman crucifixion. Are you ready? This is what Rome would do to those who would rebel against them. Number one, it, they would whip you of some sort or scourge you of some sort. They did this to hasten your death. The second thing they would do to you is they would strip you naked of all your clothes. The pretty crucifixes of Jesus in churches where Jesus is clothed with a linen cloth is incorrect. Our Lord was naked because it was a part of the shame of crucifixion. So they would strip you of all your clothes. The person who was crucified would bear his own cross now, let me explain to you, they did not bear the whole cross, they bore the cross beam over their arms. They carried the cross beam to the place of execution, and the cross beam was attached to a pole. So they would carry a cross beam. When they would get to the cross beam, the arms were stretched out. 
This was the most painful part of the execution because Rome details this, that they would stretch her arms so far to reach the hole that it would pull the ligaments ligaments and muscles in your arm. It would almost pull your arms apart. If you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ, one of the things that they tried to get in detail was them pulling the arm of Jesus to the hole of the crossbeam. That is correct. That's what the Romans would do. That was the most painful part of the process. After the arms reached to the certain spot of the, the piece of wood, they would take huge iron nails, huge iron nails, which was at least, at least 12 inches long. They would take it and ram it into the center of the palms of the hand. Usually they took both of the feet and placed it on top of one another and took the iron nail into both of the feet. There was a small wooden platform underneath the feet. If there wasn't a small wooden platform under the feet, the weight of the body of the victim would would fall from the cross. So in order to keep the victim on the cross, they put a wooden platform underneath the feet of the criminal, and then the criminal had the accusation above his head, whatever the crime was. This is a detailed description of a Roman execution. If you look at the Gospels, the Gospel writers almost tell us word for word that Jesus fit this description. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails. The Scripture does not say that He was naked for modesty purposes, but the Scripture does say that He carried His own cross to a point where Simon the Cyrene had to carry his cross to Calvary. His arms were stretched out, iron nails was placed in his hands and feet, and there was a wooden beam underneath his feet to keep his body on the cross. You see, there was crucifixion. It was, it, it was a public display of shame. It was a public display of dishonor. When Jesus was crucified, according to Josephus, there was more people than just three that died that day. When you look at the Christmas, when you look at the Easter story, you see three: Jesus in the middle and two others. It's pri- almost we can be sure there was other people dying at the same time, but the Scripture only records three. According to the Encyclopedia of the Standard Bible, according to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, this is what they say about a Roman crucifixion. They said that the suffering of death by crucifixion was very intense, especially in hot climates. They said that significant bleeding of the wounds would produce a traumatic fever which was aggravated by the exposure of the sun. They said that the strain of the body and the the strain of the body and the victim by him or her pushing themselves up on the cross would be painful, especially the wood on the back of the cross would penetrate the but back of the wounds of the individual. So it was a constant, it was a constant wound in his back. The, the unbearable thirst that the person would have to go through. There would be torn tendons and, and, uh, and nerves that would cause excruciating uh, pain. The arteries in your head and your stomach would be filled with blood which would cause a terrible, terrible headache or a migraine. The mind would then go into confusion and would be filled with anxiety and dread because of the pending doom that was upon you. The victim of the crucifixion said, the encyclopedia said, this person would literally die a thousand deaths. 
The last thing that usually happened to the crucified victim was that the person would go into convulsions. The body would shake terribly upon the cross. As the body would shake, it would tear the wounds in the hand and on the feet until the victim would slip into unconsciousness and death. It is said in Roman literature, and I quote, the suffering of the crucified was so frightful that even among raging passions of war, pity was sometimes excited. It was horrible that even Rome had pity upon the worst criminals. The body would convulse to the place you see, the pretty pictures of our Lord hanging on the cross is not a true depiction, uh, a depiction of, of what he went through. What he really went through was there was a bloody, bruised body hanging on a Roman cross. And his body would convulse, shake terribly upon the cross. Breathing was shallow, trying to pull himself up. And every time he pulled himself up, he would rip the wounds in his hands and his feet. You see, Roman literature indicates to us that it usually took 36 hours for someone to die on the cross. It's interesting to me that Pilate, look at this scripture, Mark 15 and 44. Mark 15, 44, Pilate marveled that he was already dead and, and the summoning of the centurion and asked him, how long he's been dead. Even Pilate was, was shocked. Pilate was astonished that Christ died so quickly because it would take at least 36 hours for someone to die on the cross and Jesus died so quickly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, why did Jesus die so quickly? He already had a cat of nine tails whipped to his back. I mean, he was already suffering the way it was. And the Bible says in John chapter 19, John chapter 19, the Bible says in verse number 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed. What was the cause of Jesus' death? Most people believe that the cause of Jesus' death was a ruptured heart because blood and water was already flowing in his body. His heart had already ruptured. So when the centurion stabbed him in the side, immediately the blood and water began to flow because he was already dead. He died of a broken heart. He died of a ruptured heart. You see, the crucifixion, ladies and gentlemen, was the most horrible form of death ever created by the human race. The Romans adopted it as their form of execution. It was the execution chair of the Roman Empire. And in 313 Constantine, the great emperor of Rome became a believer and stopped and abolished the execution of Christians and abolished the crucifixion method. You see, why did I share those details with you this morning? I shared those details with you this morning is because we don't worship the cross. We don't worship the symbol. It's not the cross in itself that has saving power. It is the Jesus that's on the cross that has saving power. It is the Jesus on the cross. Listen, listen, to, listen to Pastor Josh. The cross in itself has no saving power. It is Jesus on the cross. Or should I say, it is Jesus submitting to the will of the Father. It is Jesus submitting to the cross that produced victory. 
It was Jesus' submission. You see, uh, Paul said it like this. 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, he said, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. It is the message of the cross. It is not the cross itself. It is the message that the cross sends. What is the message of the cross, ladies and gentlemen? What is the message of the cross? Let me ask this question, and I want this question to penetrate your heart this morning. I want it to penetrate your spirit this morning. What is the message of the cross? Do we glorify the cross? Do we worship the cross? Or is it the message of the cross that our ears and our hearts need to be open to? He said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are, are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. The message of the cross is simple. And the message of the cross is this, that Jesus was made our sin. You see, we have a sin problem, ladies and gentlemen. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And as a result of their sin, you and I are sinners. We have a problem. We cannot fix ourselves. Every person who is born on the earth is born a sinner. There is not one sinless person. And the only sinless person there was was Jesus, and they crucified him. We have a sin problem. We are alienated from God. There is a problem. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus said, you know what Jesus did? Jesus said, I am going to be that sin. I'm, I'm not a sinner, but I'm going to be that sin for you. And God looked at Jesus and pronounced him guilty, not for his sin, but for our sin. Hallelujah. Jesus bore the sins of every person who ever lived. From the time of Adam to the last person who will ever live, Jesus bore their sins. Jesus bore their sins. The Father poured out His wrath upon Jesus. Poured out the wrath of God upon Jesus. Jesus said, I will take their place. I will take their, I will pay the debt. I will be sin so they do not have to stand guilty in your sight, God. Or is this church listening to me? Before Jesus was crucified, Pilate said, who do you want to be released? Do you want this king of the Jews or do you want Barabbas? And the crowd cried, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Let his blood be on our hands. And that is the Easter story. The Easter story is that Jesus took Barabbas's place. Barabbas should have died. Barabbas should have been crucified. Barabbas should have been condemned guilty. But Jesus took Barabbas's place. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying you are Barabbas. You should have been crucified. It was your sin that took him to the cross. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. He took our place for us. Is there anybody that can shout hallelujah? Paul said it like this. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Look at it. He said God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin. 
that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus became sin for us. It's the Old Testament analogy in the book of Leviticus. On the Day of Atonement, where the priest would sacrifice an animal, a lamb, and the blood was used to atone the sins of the people. There was another ritual that the priest would partake of. The ritual was he would go and get a scapegoat. He would get the scapegoat and take it to the edge of the city. Take it to the edge of the wilderness, excuse me. He would lay his hands upon the scapegoat. And he would pronounce the sins of the people on the scapegoat. The scapegoat was innocent. But the priest would pronounce sin on the scapegoat and the priest would shove the, the, the scapegoat into the wilderness. And the scapegoat would be go into the wilderness to never to return again. You see, Jesus became our scapegoat because on the cross 2,000 years ago, the Father took His hands and put it on Jesus and pronounced your sin and my sin. And Jesus died there for the sins of the world. Somebody say amen. Hallelujah. He became the scapegoat for us. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse 8, and I quote, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. You see, even Paul said it like this in Colossians 2 and verse 14. He said, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which is contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having it nailed to the cross. The Bible says in Galatians 3 and 13, I love this scripture. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that the message of the cross is simple. The message of the cross is this. God imputed our sins to Christ who knew no sin, and God imputed His righteousness to us who had no righteousness of our own. I'm going to say that again. God imputed, He put upon Christ the sins of the world. He did not ever sin. And God then gave to our account righteousness who had no righteousness of our own. What is the message of the cross? You know what it is? The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. And the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. That is the message of the cross. I'm getting a little excited up here. Do you know what the message of the cross is? Theologians have thrown this word around. They said the message of the cross is a beautiful exchange. A beautiful exchange? What do they mean by that? At the cross, He took away my guilt and then placed it with His grace. At the cross, he took away death and gave me life. 
at the cross, he took away my shame and gave me sanctification. <laughs> at the cross, he took away my regret and gave me redemption. At the cross, he took away my remorse and gave me righteousness. At the cross, he took away my helplessness and gave me holiness. At the cross, he took away my defeat and gave me deliverance. He took away my darkness and gave me light. He took away my loneliness and gave me love. He took away my problems and gave me his presence. He took away my confusion and gave me courage. He took away my worry and gave me wisdom. He took away my pressure and gave me power. It is a beautiful exchange. Woo! Somebody shout hallelujah. It's a beautiful exchange. Hallelujah. It's no wonder. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Can we lift our hands and thank him for a beautiful exchange? Hallelujah. It's no wonder Paul said it like this. He said, he said, Galatians 6, 14, Paul said, but God forbid <laughs> that I shouldn't boast in anything but the cross. Woo, hallelujah. Paul said, I'm just going to boast in the cross from now on. What, Paul? Paul, a theologian? Paul, the writer of the two-thirds of the New Testament? An apostle of Christ? He has a lot to boast about. But he says... I count it all as dung. It doesn't matter. The only thing matters is that I had a beautiful exchange. I was a murderer of these Christians and God came and knocked me off of my high horse and spoke to me and at that moment on the Damascus road I was converted he took away my blindness and gave me sight he took away my death and gave me life I'm not going to boast about anything but a beautiful exchange that God did oh hallelujah and I want to say this listen to this listen to this preacher this morning the problem with so many churches today is that we have glorified country clubs with steeples on top of it with a bunch of baptized pagans sitting in church pews Sunday after Sunday strutting their way to hell because they're an egomaniac lifting up their trophies before God and acting as if God owes them something. The only thing I can boast about is I was lost and I'm found. I was blind and I see. I was sick and I'm healed. I was down and I'm out. I was in the pit and he brought me up. I'm not going to boast about anything but a beautiful exchange that happened in my heart. That's the anything, anything I'm going to boast about. I should have died. My sin should have executed me. I shouldn't have got the job. I, I, sh I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have got the job. I shouldn't, I, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have got the promotion. I know I, I wasn't worthy of it, but I'm not going to boast about any of that. I'm going to boast about the beautiful exchange that I received at Calvary. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm going to glory in His cross. I'm going to glory and boast about grace. Is there anybody in the building? I don't... <laughs> Hallelujah. Is there anybody that can boast about grace today? I'm not going to boast about a building. 
I'm not going to boast about bucks. I'm not going to boast about people. I'm not going to boast about positions and personalities and prestige and positions. I'm going to boast about grace. I'm going to boast about freedom. I'm going to boast about forgiveness. I'm going to boast about redemption. I'm going to boast about reconciliation. Some of you haven't praised God in a while because you are, you've sat in the church acting as if God owes you something. You've got something to boast about, sweetie. You've got something to rejoice about this morning. You've got something to re rejoice because it was His grace that saved you from the uttermost. How can you sit there with your pious attitude as if the church owes you something? Please, throw away your trophies. Did you hear what this gospel preacher said this morning? I said, throw away your trophies on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Oh, I love that old cross where the dearest and the best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay I'll cling to the old rugged cross. <laughs> Hallelujah. I believe in this philosophical hell-bound generation where people don't even know the sex that they are. We need to stand up and say the Bible is still true. I said the Bible is still true. Is there anybody in the building that you still believe that there is only but one God who is the creator of heaven and earth? That you believe there is only one Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth, was born of a virgin, died on a Roman cross, laid his body in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day he rose again with power and glory. We believe that he shall return in glory to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son he is worshiped and glorified. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, and I believe in that great resurrection morning where all the saint of dead shall be raised and meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Oh, a gospel preacher years ago, he was old. He went to the pulpit, stumbled as he got there. Pointed his little finger and said, church, I just want to tell you what the Lord told me. He said, justice should have hung me, but mercy cut the rope. <laughs> Hallelujah. Did you hear what the preacher said? Justice should have hung me, but mercy cut the rope in closing. Second Kings chapter 6. In closing, 
as we, 2 Kings chapter 6. Now this is just typology. It's not solid theology. It's just typology, but I think it's important that I read it. And the sons of the prophet said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let us take every man a beam from there and let us make there a place so that we all can dwell. The Bible says, verse 2, verse 3, that one said, Please consent, let us go with your servants. And they answered, I will go. And so they went, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down some trees. But as they were cutting down a tree, as they were cutting the tree, an axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. And so he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and it made it float. And therefore he said, Pick it up from yourself. So he reached out with his hand and took it. I think that this reminds us a whole lot of churchgoers today. We need to take the prophet who is the Holy Spirit. The prophet has taken us by the hand and he has asked this question, where did you lose it? Oh, we've been busy, haven't we? We've, we've had the axe and we've been cutting for years. We have been real busy in the church. But in our busyness, we've lost it. In our busyness, we've lost the power. In our busyness, we've lost our distinction. In our busyness, we have lost what is truly makes us different. We've lost it. We've been working and the axe head fell into the water and we've lost it. But the Holy Spirit has taken us by the hand. And He's saying to us today, where did you lose it? What does the Bible say? He said, the servant said, I, I lost it right here. And what did Elisha do? He took a, a stick, threw the stick into the water, and when the stick hit the water, the axe head floated to the top. The stick represents the message of the cross. The stick is the message of the cross. And when the cross is put back in our churches, then we will God will restore the thing in which we can work with. We can work without the cross, and if we work without the message of the cross, we're going to be depleted and exhausted in the end. But if we realize that if we've got to have the cross and the message of the cross, then we will have the ability to work for the kingdom of God. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying it's a beautiful exchange. Jesus, look at Him. Look at that cross. Our Lord was naked. His body was convulsing, trembling on a rugged cross. Bloody and bruised, 
mind delirious. The heat of the Palestinian sun scorching upon his head, praying for relief. As he had mockers passing by, spitting on him. The thief on the cross, if you are the Son of God, come down off of there. We call him Lord. I mean, what kind of kingdom that a man like this would ever have? What kind of kingdom does he have? He has a borrowed tomb. What kind of throne does he have? His throne was his cross. What kind of scepter does the king have? It was a bloody nail. What kind of allegiance does this king have? The spit of the passerbys. Yet, it was from that cross that his message went throughout the world. And it has changed the world. Hospitals are built in his name now. Orphanages are built in his name. Schools are built in his name. Churches are built in his name. Missionaries go throughout the world, leave their spouses, leave their homes, leave their family, leave their children, get on a boat and go to a strange foreign country to preach about a man who gave his all on a bloody Roman cross. What is the message of the cross? It's a beautiful exchange. He traded with us. And once in a while, you got to lift your hands and say, thank you. Because I can't help myself. I can't. How much do you love him? What's the big deal about Easter? The cross is a big deal. Is there any Jesus lovers? Jesus disciples? Jesus committed? Jesus fire baptized? Jesus all in people? Is there anybody saying, I don't care. I, I don't care about anything. I want to please Him. I want to honor Him. I want to worship Him because I have experienced that beautiful exchange. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give Him praise in the building today. Hallelujah. Give Him praise in the building today. Hallelujah. Come on, worship team, let's do the last song that you just did. Hallelujah. Isn't God good today? I said, isn't God good today? Hallelujah. I said, isn't He good today? No matter how you feel, He's good. He's good. Let's not be downtrodden today. No matter how bad life may be for you, there's been a beautiful exchange for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs>